What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Big Ten Football Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Guggenheim. We are uh, doing this kind of end of the night, no intro, no no music, what whatnot. This is just kind of recapping a, a game that honestly makes the West uh, intriguing today. And this, most of you are going to hear this maybe Saturday morning or maybe Saturday afternoon. And so maybe by the time you listen to this, we know what happens in the West because uh, a number of the games for the Big Ten are happening uh, early, kind of noon, and the three the three thirty. Sorry, my I thought I muted my computer there. Um, in the three thirty, uh, either the twelve o'clock or the three thirty window. So we're gonna we're gonna know a lot. So maybe by the time you listen to this this episode, we're gonna know who the West winner is. But the Nebraska Iowa game shakes up a lot, and there's a lot of news that that's following. Uh, reported Matt Rule uh, is gonna be the next head coach of the Nebraska Cornhuskers. I, I certainly hope that he keeps Mickey Joseph on staff because I think he has instilled a lot of toughness and a lot of grit into this Cornhusker team. Uh, on, on the flip side, I think there's a lot of questions about Iowa moving forward. And it's interesting because Iowa was on the cusp of getting a berth to the Big Ten uh, to the Big Ten championship game. Nebraska's four and eight, and you'd think that all the momentum and all the excitement would be on the Iowa side and getting ready. You know, it's a home game. It's senior day. You may not win against Ohio State or Michigan, but you're you're to the dance again for the second straight year. And they still might make the Big Ten championship game. Like, make no mistake about it. There's a I, – I wouldn't say a bad chance, right? Like, Purdue's kind of hot and cold. I picked Purdue to lose. But then again, I've been – this year I have been awful on picks. And so I, I've been like the kiss of death, which makes me a little terrified about the Ohio State-Michigan game. So – We'll we'll see, you know, if you're listening to this after 3.30 p.m., I'm either weeping or rejoicing. But that that's besides the point. Um, a lot to digest. So let me let me start with Nebraska. I thought Casey Thompson had a, a phenomenal performance, right? Especially early, right? Nebraska really slowed down in the second half. But Casey Thompson had a great day, 20-30, 278 yards, three touchdowns. Trey Palmer is a, is a dude. Man, he, he was phenomenal against a really good secondary for the Iowa Hawkeyes. And, I mean, he eclipsed 1,000 yards on the season. Uh, he has, you know, nine touchdowns. He's a junior. I, I don't know if he'll declare. I don't – it'd be interesting if, if they get him back. Casey Thompson is technically a junior, but he's – 24. So, you know, depend I don't know who's going to come back. But you've got maybe maybe some pieces coming back. But it's just they the the big thing was they were up 17. It's 24 to 7. And Iowa threatened to come back and I almost felt like they needed that. They they needed the fear of the choke job than to win. Like, they they needed that. 
they they needed and they had a couple of other close wins, right? Indiana and Rutgers. But it's Indiana Rutgers. Right? Iowa is a an above 500 opponent who is probably going to you know, if if Purdue wins, they they don't tie, but like if Purdue loses, they tie for the conference or the division championship, which I know they're 7 and 5, but they they beat Iowa. They beat Iowa on the road. Right? Like Iowa's the home team and Iowa is I think one of the best home field advantages in the conference. Like I might put them I might put them, Wisconsin, and Penn State as the top three home field advantages in the conference, right? And I, I love Ohio State and I love Michigan. Well, I don't love Michigan, but I think Michigan has a great stadium. But they're they're eerily quiet for such big crowds. I think Iowa, Wisconsin, and Penn State, those are the top three. And, you know, Iowa, it's a tough place to win. And... Nebraska went in, they got up early, and they held the lead, and I, I thought they did some really nice things. Um, you know, I thought, you know, they caused four turnovers, which again, this Iowa offense has not been very good, but they caused four turnovers, strip, a couple of tri- strip sacks, which was really, really good by them. Uh, they picked off Alex Padilla once, which is something we'll talk about with Iowa, and I think the this has been a great day i think for nebraska right and they're not going to go to a bowl game not going to go uh much further and i think even the next couple of years they're going to be rougher years for the cornhuskers but i think it sets them up well for a rebound to become a more respectable program which let me let me get to matt rule for a minute I have been on record by saying, you know, with all the Cornhuskers, if you're a Cornhusker fan, I want you to understand something. I have been on record saying, please do not hire Urban. Everybody wanted Urban because, well, Urban can revitalize programs and Urban is great at this and Urban is... And I saw someone the other day is like, if if we get Urban Meyer, we'll be in. It'll be Ohio State versus Nebraska in the Big Ten championship for the next fifteen years. And I I laughed. I laughed. Urban would have been a terrible hire, and it's not because I think Urban Meyer is a bad coach. It's uh, he, obviously he's he's a great coach. He's one of the best coaches of all time in college football, right? He's was not fit for the NFL, which I predicted i was like he's not going to be a good nfl coach guess what he wasn't a good nfl coach but nebraska would have been a disaster and he would have been out of there in three years i'm just knowing his profile and the challenges you have to remember he took over florida well let's even go back before that like his success at bowling green in utah they were group of five teams that he could outwork. And so he I mean he recruited his butt off at those programs. But remember, he he didn't have to beat teams like Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State and USC and UCLA. Right? He didn't have to beat them. And then when he got to Florida, like there were some good programs in the SEC. But who started the the SEC run of dominance? Urban. 
right? Like at least the current wave. And then Nick Saban just took it into hyper gear, and now Kirby Smart is kind of taking it, taking it forward. And you're going to tell me, and then same thing with Ohio State, right? Like Ohio State already had good recruits. Like they had a, a pretty decent roster when he walked in. And then, I mean, he was so far ahead of the game versus everybody else in the Big Ten. The Big Ten was awful in 2012 and 2013. Like it was terrible. And even 2014 when they won the national championship, it was – Wisconsin, Michigan, Michigan State, or Michigan State and Ohio State. Michigan wasn't good. Penn State wasn't good. Like those are your two premier programs aside from Ohio State. You know, Wisconsin was decent. Michigan State was was really good under D'Antonio, but they were never gonna get you know, Michigan State, it's tough for them to get to that elite elite level. And we saw that when they played Alabama in 2015. So why do I say all that? You're going to tell me that it was a good idea to send Urban to a program that is at the bot in the basement of the worst division, the the lesser of two divisions in the Big Ten, on the cusp of adding USC, who's got a really good coach in Lincoln Riley, and UCLA, who's got a pretty good coach in Chip Kelly. Two more programs who have a very big recruiting base. And you're adding that to the mix of Ohio State, who has a great recruiting base. Michigan, who is a, who's developing a recruiting base. Penn State, who has a better recruiting base. And more established programs in that footprint, like Iowa, Wisconsin, who have a better track record. Like, that's not Urban starting at an advantage like he has at every other place he's been. That's a massive disadvantage. He's never been in that position before. And so could he have done well? Maybe. But like I think he probably would have quit in three years. So why do I bring that up? Matt Rule, I don't want to say he's the perfect hire because I don't want to put too much pressure on him. But he's the type of guy that's done something like this before. Right? He was at Temple which is historically an awful program, and he made them relevant. And then he went to Baylor, and I think he was at Baylor for two years. I forget how many years he was there. But, like, he, he helped Baylor become competent. And he was in a place where there is a lot of talent, but Baylor was not, you know, is, is what, the fourth or fifth best program in Texas? You know, and it's not ju- not just Texas, but you got to deal with Oklahoma. You got to deal with the SEC schools. You got to deal with the- so he's used to being uh, the fifth or sixth rated program in a in a state and getting leftovers and making them good. That's what you're going to have to do in the first three years at Nebraska. You're going to have to win the transfer portal. You're going to have to learn how to get underrated guys. And you're going to have to figure out how to build a reputation in the area to, you know, to cherry pick one or two guys. And you got to be content with going four and eight, five and seven, six and six, seven and five over the next three years, but making progress. Matt Rule has done that, right? I didn't think he was a great hire for the NFL and he wasn't a great hire for the NFL. That's not, that's not his game. 
That's never never what he was going to be able to accomplish. But what can he accomplish? He can take a fledgling program and make them tougher, and he can uh, develop players, and he can make them competitive. And maybe if he gets them to consistent seven, eight, nine wins, he can start to recruit California a little bit better. He can start to recruit Texas a little better. He can start to recruit Ohio and Pennsylvania a little better. Because now he's not recruiting uh, people to the 10th or 11th best program in the Big Ten, but now the, the the 6th or 7th. And his pitch can then be, hey, you know those other premier programs? We're going to become one of those. But right now you can't you can't pitch that because the last time Nebraska was nationally relevant was before any high schoolers were born. And so you you can't go you, like the Scott Frost thing it was like return to glory. You know what? No high schooler cares. I don't. What they care about is can you get me to the can you get me to the league? And can we win a national championship? And if you can't do the, do the national championship, the next best thing is how can we how can you help develop my game and help me have a good experience and a good culture and a and and all that all that stuff. And I think Matt Rule can do that. And if you start to pile compile Seven win seasons, eight win seasons, nine win seasons. You get the occasional upset of Ohio State, Nebraska, uh, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. You start winning the games against Iowa, Wisconsin, uh, Purdue. You start winning those games more regularly. Then I think you start to to have the conversation of okay, when does Nebraska, when can Nebraska become more nationally relevant? But that's just not where you are right now. That's not where they are. Um, and so so all that's to say, I think it's a really good hire. I don't know if it's a great hire. I think we're going to see that in the next few years. But I'm, I'm much, I, I am much more satisfied with this hire than I am with Urban. Because I think Urban would have burned out. And I think Nebraska would have been set back another 10 years. And so this this way I feel like this this feels i think it could be like a jim harbaugh situation and i'm not saying it is but i think that's the that's that's the blueprint right because when they hired jim harbaugh michigan was not nationally relevant like they just they weren't and they were in the they were in a dumpster fire and Jim Harbaugh came back, had a really good season the first year, had a really good season the second year, and then he, you know, 2017 stunk, and then 2018 was was good, 2019 or 2019 was good, 2020 was abysmal because of COVID, and then last year they pop. It was a it was a six year, six seven year process, but they got there, and guess what? Like Michigan's, like has been in the playoff conversation now uh, at the end of the season for Jim, you know, under Jim Harbaugh, multi, you know, almost every year, I think from 2018 to, to this year, 
three out of five years, they were in the playoff discussion at least till the end of the season. That was not the case when Jim Harbaugh first arrived. And Nebraska's in a much worse state right now. But I, I, I bring that up because I think with Nebraska, it's going to be tempting to get rid of Matt Rule too quickly if he say he he goes 5 and 7 next year and then the next year goes 6 and 6 or 7 and 5. What you really want to look for is are they making progress and are they competing and winning the Iowa games, the Minnesota games, the the Purdue games more regularly. Right? That their only wins aren't just Rutgers and um Indiana and North Dakota. So that's, re- that's really what you want to see. So I'm excited. I, I think it's a good hire. Again, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's great yet, but I think it's a good hire. Um, really excited for Nebraska. Great win. Really hope Mickey Joseph sticks around. Let me, let me circle back to Iowa. Um, a lot of things went wrong in this game. Right, so you know Spencer Petras started out abysmal, and then he got hurt. Um, obviously Sam Laporta was out for this game. Cooper DeGene went out early in this game, and I thought Iowa's defense adjusted well in the second half. Um, right, like we knew they would. Their defense is still really good, but they had to they had to learn how to play without Cooper DeGene, who has really, really stepped up his game this year. Um he has been just a, I, I'm pretty sure he's a freshman and he he's just played out of his mind. Um really, really good player who who sadly didn't get to play most of today. The the thing that really shocked me, I, I thought the offensive line for Iowa have really started to gel and they looked awful today. I mean just the amount of pressure that Petrus went was under and then Padilla uh, it was it was bad and I think I I I tweeted this out I wonder how much they miss Sam Laporta as a blocker today. Cuz uh Lachey had a great game receiving the ball, but I'm not sure how great of a blocker he is. He might he might have been great. I didn't necessarily focus on him uh, in in the blocking game, um, but it, you know, it, they don't have a lot of great receivers. Uh, Regini or Regani, I, I don't know how to say his last name. You know, he's he's maybe their best receiver, but they didn't have a lot of receivers. Caleb Caleb Johnson was pretty good at running back. You know, over a hundred yards, but they they could not sustain drives. Really, most of their offense came in the second half uh, when the games certainly wasn't out of reach, but it certainly felt like it, it until the fumble um, with about six minutes left in the game. That being said, this. I, I almost wonder if it's the best thing that happened for Iowa to lose this game. Because what is what is Kirk Ferentz, kind of his smuggle grin at, at press, conference, press conferences when he's been challenged about his son being the offensive coordinator? 
Well, we went to a Big Ten championship game last year, didn't we? We won 10 games last year. We're pretty good. I'm not going to accuse him of nepotism. I'm not going to I'm not going to go there. I'm I'm just I'm just going to say this very clearly though. This this was a terrible coaching job by one of I think the best coaches I've seen co- uh, I've I've covered and watched over the past 20 years. And I get they lost a you know they lost Linderbaum they they lost a lot of guys on offense they lost Charlie Jones who apparently is pretty good guys maybe if he had a more competent offense he would have kept Charlie Jones but they didn't now he might be playing Charlie Jones might be playing for a Big Ten championship for Purdue we'll see maybe by the time you're listening to this Purdue has already clinched or Purdue has blown it because Purdue can become Purdue very quickly but. I'm tired, and it's it's not just Iowa. It's it's Wisconsin. It's in some ways it's Purdue. Although I think Purdue has tried to elevate in different ways. Um, I, I'm tired of kind of this culture in the Big Ten, where we just kind of assume that running game and. Sp- and special teams will get it done. And I know it's Trestle I love, you know, Jim Trestle, obviously a big fan of his. But the game has evolved. And if, you, if you're going to play that way, you got to play in a way, you know, like Michigan does, you know, where you have enough players. And I, listen, I, I'm not going to sit here and think, well, Iowa's got all this talent compared to the Ohio States and the Michigans of the world. But they've now played Michigan and Ohio State three times in the past two years. And their best result was a 27-10 win, loss to the team up north at home. The other two is 42-6 and 54-10. And they were going to be in the Big Ten championship game. If they won this game. And I, I'm just, I'm tired. Like, the, the thing that's so annoying is that Kirk fans would get up there and just be like, well, this is how we play. No, you've got an incompetent offense. Fix it. Or at least try to fix it. But it's like, he's just content to say, well, we're going to win with defense. Worked last year. Yeah. Guess what? You didn't play high potent offenses last year. And you got lucky with Penn State because Sean Clifford got hurt in that game. Like I it's it's maddening to me. Like and in this day and age in college football, you you've got to have some sort of balance to be able to compete at the top 10, top 15 level. This offense is atrocious, and if I'm an Iowa fan, like I'm like demanding a refund because of how bad this this offense is, and the the lack of commitment to fixing it. Now I'll give them credit they they 
they looked better up until this game. But part of it is if you look at who Iowa played, right? You know, they're their last five opponents and who they played, you know, it's not exactly a murderer's row, right? Their last five, they played Northwestern. Yay. They played Purdue. Purdue's, again, pretty decent. They they played Wisconsin, who they beat by two scores, which, I mean, that's nice. They pl- went played at Minnesota, which they only scored 13 and probably should have lost that game because they allowed over 250 yards to Mo Ibrahim. But they, you know, they got lucky with a turnover at the end of that game, and they lost to Nebraska. Like, and then if you look at their, you know, their first seven games, losses to Iowa State, Michigan, Illinois, Ohio State. So, and they lost to Michigan by thirteen, not seventeen. But I, at some point, if if Iowa wants to compete for the Big Ten like they used to. Right, like Wisconsin used to, you've got to find you got to do something different. And I'm not saying completely change your whole identity. I'm not saying, you know, go away from ground and pound and go away from the tight ends. And no, I, I'm not saying that. You can win that way, but be competent in it. Like develop a quarterback that can throw. Like, you've had Nate Stanley before. You've had guys that can throw. I mean, you put up 55 on Ohio State five years ago. But, like, what what is going on? Like, where is the quarterback development? You've had Spencer Petras for three years. Why does he look awful? And why is Alex Padilla not ready to really deliver? Right? And he played okay today. But why you know why is your offensive line like you can't you can't block a routine edge rush today? What are you doing? Like and, and it all comes back to this. What is Brian Ferentz doing? Like who is he coaching up? What are the play calls? Like these play calls are nonsense. The the line scheme is nonsense. And I, if, if I'm an Iowa fan, I'm discouraged because not only do you not have the right guys in place at, on offense, but the guy up front is slow to change things. And that is a very hard place to be. As a Buckeye fan, I know this because we all felt that I love Jim Trestle. But when we had to deal with uh, Jim Bowman as our offensive coordinator and he would not get rid of him, it blew my mind that we had Terrell Pryor, we had all these good receivers, a pretty good offensive line, Beanie Wells in the backfield, and then boom, Heron. And it's like every play is power left, power right. It's third and long. Let's do play action. Oh, nobody's fooled on third and long with a play action. Like when I can call the play from my couch – and, like, I don't have the film or anything. I can just call it because I'm like, well, I know your tendencies. If I can do that at my couch, do you think the defensive coordinator can figure it out for the other team? 
Like, be better. Like, you're getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to coach this game. You better be able to out-scheme my stupidity on the couch. Like, give me a break. And I feel bad. I feel bad for the Iowa fans. I feel bad for the Iowa players because I don't think they're getting developed the way they should. And I, I just, it's okay to lose, and it's okay to go seven and five. It's okay to, you know, Nebraska. It's, it's okay to go four and eight. What I, I don't like is grown men making tons of money and not having. Like, they can make any excuse in the world and keep their jobs. Like, put your young men in a position to succeed or get out. And this has been, the past couple years, but especially this season, it's it's been atrocious. It's been atrocious. And I, I wish... And, you know, I get part of it. Iowa had some new pieces... But again, I, I to me it's there's it's more to it than that. I I, I think in a sense seven and five. It, Iowa went seven and five, and it feels like they went four and eight. Like they they did not have a good season because they had a championship level defense, and they had the one of the most incompetent offenses I've seen in recent memory. So, anyway, exciting. If you're if you're listening to this Saturday afternoon, we probably know already know who has won the West or has clinched the West. West. I will try to do another post game pod uh, tomorrow night, or if it's Saturday tonight. Um, if if Ohio State lo- loses or lost, I may not get to till Sunday because I'll be quite honestly just too sad. So. I'll do it. I'll own up to it. I'll own up to me picking wrong and I'll let Michigan fans gloat because I don't I don't like it when podcasters, sportscasters don't own up to their failures. So I will gladly own up to it if that's the case. Um, if Ohio State wins, I might be a little unbearable. But that's it for the Big Ten Football Talk podcast. Thanks for listening. Take care. God bless.